welcome to our Bible study. Uh, today we are studying uh, at least uh, chapter 10 of Genesis. <clears throat> uh, those of you who have read through uh, chapter 10 in advance of this study um, will know that this is not uh, anything like any of the other chapters we've covered so far. There are, there are no stories, <laughs> no accounts at all. Uh, <clears throat> but I'm hopeful that we will be able to nevertheless extract things out of this text uh, that will aid our understanding of God's word. But let's first uh, ask that God blesses us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness in keeping your word from generation to generation. Grant us your Holy Spirit in our study of your word that we may hold fast to that which we have received and hold and fast it also, pass it on to coming generations. That with all your saints, past, present and future, we may be kept in your kingdom and brought into your everlasting glory. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <clears throat> okay, so Genesis uh, chapter 10, uh, we have the generations, that is to say the offspring the, uh, of Noah and his sons, <clears throat> or in fact, uh, this is the, uh, officially, this is the, the sons of Noah, uh, which is the only, uh, it's the only genealogy family tree that is so named, named after some of his sons, even though we have, uh, the generation, uh, for example, later on in Genesis in chapter 37 onwards, we have the account of Joseph, <clears throat> who is a son, but it's nevertheless not named after him. Uh, we have here a, uh, an impressive collection of mm. unusual names. So I don't know which of you are feeling brave enough to uh, to read a portion, but we have here three here three genealogies of uh, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, but in the reverse order. <clears throat> and so, if, uh, if anyone is feeling brave uh, to read. Uh, a genealogy each. We need three readers. If not, uh, then I will read. But you're going to hear plenty of me as we go on. So if, if anyone is, is is willing to give it a go, um, I there's I I've heard I've never seen it actually in print. But I I was told that Winston one of Winston Churchill's uh, <clears throat> excuse me one of Winston Churchill's famous sayings was that uh, every Englishman has the right to pronounce foreign word foreign names as he pleases. Uh, sounds about right. So um, I don't agree with that sentiment as such, but uh, just for the purposes of our study, I permit you to pronounce these foreign names as you please. Uh, Dave, you're, you're muted. Uh, are the Finnish and Northern Irish allowed to pronounce them any way we want? <laughs> <laughs> so, any readers? Yep. I'll go. Thank you. Um, down to what verse, Captain? Well, if you get to, uh, <clears throat> if you're willing to do uh, both the first first half, so both Japheth and Ham, um, which yep. all the first twenty verses. First twenty verses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to change your mind now, huh? <laughs> I think Mike's a lot better reader than I am. <laughs> okay, I'll have a go. <clears throat> These are the generations of the son of Noah, 
Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Ripha, and Togamah. The sons of Javan, Elisha, uh, Tarshish, Kittim, Dodanim. From these, the coastland peoples spread in the lands, each with his own language by their clans in their nations. <clears throat> the sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, and Sabtaka. The sons of Rama, Sheba, and Didan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of the kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, Kalne, in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rebaboth, Ir, Kala, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. <coughs> Egypt fathered Lubim, Ananim, Lehebim, Naphtalim, Pathsurim, Kashulim, from whom the Philistines came, and Capthorim. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the, Ger- uh, the Gergeshites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, and the Arvidites the Zemarites and the Hamathites. Afterwards, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar, as far as Gaza, and the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adam, and Zeboim, as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, their nations. Thank you. Give him a round of applause. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Very good. <clears throat> Anybody want to read the rest? No. No. I, I can read it. Thank you. And children were born also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder. The sons of Shem were Elam, Asher, Arphaxad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram were Uz, Paul, Gether, and Mash, or Fatsad begot Salah, and Salah begot Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan begot Almodad, Shelef, Hazar Marvath, Jira, Hadoram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abamal, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobad. All these were the sons of Joktan. And their dwelling place was from Misha as you go toward Sephar, the mountain of the east. These were the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, according to their nations. These were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations, in their generations. And from these, the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. 
Oh, an applause for Thank you. you. Very good. Another, <laughs> yes, uh, sterling, sterling performance from uh, Northern Ireland. <laughs> Just as well we didn't trust this to Englishmen. Uh, who knows what might have come out of it. Well, thank you very much for uh, reading that. Um, the first obvious question is, um, for us reading this today, so what? Exactly. Or put it in other words, uh, who cares? Why do they all speak different languages if they come from the same core family? Uh, that's a good question, and we can answer that in different ways. Um, <clears throat> I'll offer you first a, a purely a, uh, a secular explanation, and then mm-hmm. the biblical explanation. The secular explanation is that uh, languages diverge over time. Um, if it wasn't for modern communication, TV, radio, internet and such, I imagine that, let's say, for example, American English and British English would be even more different than they already are. Uh, if you go to Norway, for example, when it's Norway, I was told that it wasn't until it was quite not very long ago that you could have two neighboring fjords where they had completely different dialects because you, you know, people communicated up and down the fjord, but over the mountain and separated the fjord. And so as people, uh, you know, people, people are kind of over time, a language develops. And if you separate people, say languages develop differently. And so, so for example, if you, I don't know how many of you have recently read, uh, Chaucer's Canterbury Tales in the original. Uh, but that's middle English. That's, that's an early form of, or earlier form of English. But mm-hmm. most people read it in translation, if at all, because it's changed so much already. Mm-hmm. You can imagine if you take somebody who's speaking Middle English in the 1300s or early 1400s, and then you transplant them to, I don't know, Tasmania, and then come back 500 years later, what will have developed is not the same language as what developed back at home. So that's one, one, that's a pure kind of linguistic ex- uh, explanation. Uh, the biblical explanation, uh, <clears throat> is coming up in the beginning of chapter 11, which is the Tower of Babel. So this is, I said that we will be studying at least chapter 10, uh, because the beginning of chapter 11 really is part of the same story. Mm. Or same, same account. This is not a story. Of it. <coughs> any, any other, uh, initial thoughts or comments? Um, is there Sodom and Gomorrah in all that lot? There was... They were mentioned, yes. So I thought that they were places, not people. Yeah, they are places. Oh, there are so cities, and which is why it says here uh, in verse nineteen, it says that in the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, I see. Yeah, so they're names. Yeah, Mike. There's so many number names there that I got muddled. Yeah, Mike. Apart from apart from Noah, what other ones of these languages, these names, are still used? Uh, as well, <clears throat> not many. As, no. as actual names, no, they're not. Most of them are not. Um, there's a whole thing here about names. I'll, I'll we'll, we'll sort of untangle some of them, but uh, I suppose I could uh, challenge any of you to, uh, uh, you know, when when you next have a have a, a grandchild or great grandchild to uh, to uh, uh, encourage them to call their son Arfaxad, for example. See how that mm-hmm. goes down. We have a grandson in America called Noah. Yes, yes, <laughs> but not not a Nimrod, unfortunately. No. Um, would you? Now, uh, there are a couple of things just to say about this. First, the very first thing is the answer to my question of so what? <clears throat> I think, sorry. 
No, you were going to say something. I was, but you go ahead. Take the words out of my mouth. <laughs> okay. Um, well, when I read it, I thought to myself, this is, um, God spoke to Adam and Eve. It says, be fruitful and multiply. And I think this is what is happening in this period of history that, um, the descendants of Noah are living out that, uh, commission to be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. I think the other thing I noticed in this chapter for me, it's, it's just, it's full of, um, history and geography, which will be opened up and expanded in the coming chapters. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so there is, there is, that's, both of those things are true. So it kind of looks backwards and forwards in a sense. Um, but I was going to make a more general point to begin with, which is to say that <clears throat> when we ask ourselves, why do we read the Bible? What, what do we read it for? Um, <clears throat> if we only have one answer to that, I think we are missing out. If we only read the Bible for, uh, how shall I put this? Immediate spiritual nourishment which sounds like a really good thing you read the bible and you get something out of it you can it uh gives you instruction or guidance or it it uh strengthens your faith something you can say i read this and it was helpful because that's a good thing but it's not the only thing the bible is there for the bible's Uh, there for the history as well that it brings forth the bible is there for a lot of things Hmm. and the very first thing to say about the bible is it is what it is and we have to read it as it is, which is to say that I really fully understand and sympathize when people start reading the Bible from cover to cover. And when they get to the genealogies or the, the Levitical uh, regulations, they just skip over to the next chapter that tells them something they can actually apply or, you know, kind of say, oh, I, this makes sense. But actually, we, we've been given the whole Bible. <clears throat> and I would really very strongly encourage you to try and overcome the desire always to have an obvious application of what you read. In other words, only read those things that you consider to be helpful uh, to you <clears throat> On for a couple of reasons. One of them, very basic thing, if you only read the things that you already understand and apply, well, you're limiting yourself. Uh, if you read things that don't seem to make sense or don't, you don't understand or you can't see what, where this goes before, at least by reading it, you open yourself to the possibility of learning it, and maybe it will you will expand your horizons. <clears throat> That's a very basic level. Secondly, um, if I just finish, Rosemary. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, there is the the fact that it's been given to us God's word. God has given to given given it to us for a reason. Now we might not be able to figure out the reason, but that doesn't mean that it's not there. In other words, that it's not therefore beneficial. It's a bit like, you know, sometimes you go on, uh, you can go on things, you have this or leadership training courses where they give you a group challenge, put you into team challenges, and they give you stuff and they didn't tell you what it's for, and then they try to tell you to figure it out. And it's very frustrating for most of the time, until you figure it out, in which case all of a sudden it all makes sense, it's rewarding, and actually the process itself is often just as important as the beginning and the end point. In other words, the way that you go from, I can't make sense of this to, now this makes sense. The process itself is very important as a, as a form of learning and as a growth. <clears throat> Moreover, there is plenty of stuff in the Bible that although we it doesn't apply to me directly, I can't say this verse here has this to say to me. It's nevertheless part of the fabric of what Rosemary called the history or the story uh, of the Bible. And if you don't know that story, because you skipped over it, 
because you can see the sense of it for yourself. Then the other things which depend on that link are less clear to you. Hmm. You know, if, if you don't know, I don't know, if, for example, if, if you know absolutely nothing about the purity laws in Leviticus, half the work of Jesus in the gospels makes no sense. You know, what, who cares about leprosy? He wasn't, you know, he wasn't exactly a deadly disease. They, the sort of leprosy they talked about in the New Testament is not the sort of leprosy you read later on about people's flesh falling off their shoes. Just a, you know, often leprosy is just really bad eczema. Yeah. So, so what? You know, um, <clears throat> and, and of course the answer is in Leviticus, but if you haven't read Leviticus, you don't have that answer. And in fact, therefore you understand the ministry of Jesus less well, even though reading about the uh, rules and regulations concerning leprosy in, the, in Leviticus will not spiritually build you up. It's a necessary building block for the bit that will build you up, which is the ministry of Jesus. And so for these <coughs> reasons, and there's a, there's a one final thing, which is, I've said this many times before, but I'll say it again, about patience with reading the Old Testament. New Testament, especially when we read uh, the letters in the New Testament, also in the Gospels, it's pretty punchy stuff. It's condensed. It's, it's very condensed and, and and clear. And every almost every every sentence delivers something. And you can read half a chapter of Matthew's Gospel, and so you come away with lots to think about for the rest of the day. Mm. The Old Testament often isn't like that. Some bits of uh, some bits of it are. So some of the Psalms or bits of the Prophets, for example, are. But most of it isn't. You have to read very large chunks to get the sense and like I'll, I'll give you the example that i've used many times before which is uh one and two chronicles i don't know when you last read one and two chronicles but much of one and two chronicles it begins with about nine chapters of lists of names genealogies that's the first nine chapters and most of it is just history of this happened that happened and this was the king and that was the king and this is what was and, and these are the sort of people that you know, David, list of all the people who are going to serve in the temple. It's just that good stuff. Yeah, so what's the point of it? And the answer is the point of it is one and two chronicles. It doesn't make 1,400 different points over uh, 60 chapters. It makes one very big point, which takes 60 chapters to unroll. And if you don't read it patient from beginning to end, you never get that. Now, the, that point is very important. It's, it's all to do with true worship of God. And this is how it's set out. This is what the promise is based on. And then you see what happens when the people decide to do something different. And it's told slowly and patiently over a long period of time. And once you finish reading the 60 chapters of 1 and 2 Chronicles, you've got the point. And if you go into saying, I want to read something and I want to take three important points from today's reading for me, I'm afraid you'll be disappointed and you'll miss the point as well. Which is why, by the way, it's sometimes good to read quite big chunks of Bible all at once rather than just half a chapter or a couple of verses. Because sometimes reading just a couple of verses will give you, will not give you, if you're reading the wrong verses, if you like, it will give you nothing. So these are some of the reasons um, <clears throat> why it's important for us to read things that don't actually directly benefit us. And this is our chapter today. I have yet to locate a single verse in here which which you could print on a poster and sell in a Christian bookshop as an inspirational thing for Christians to put on their wall. Okay? But if Genesis 10 is missing, then I'm afraid we have a missing in between the story thus far, up to Noah and the flood, and what happens afterwards. And this is this is kind of necessary. And this this is like the background canvas 
for the rest of the Bible. And if you don't have the background canvas, then the foreground stuff that we are mostly focused on doesn't make full sense. The context is important. Okay, Rosemary, do you still remember what, what you're going to say? After? Yes. Um, who had this information and how how was it kept? And do you know who wrote this out? And I mean, all these names and everything are all there. Um, what time did they start putting it down? I don't know. And nobody knows. There are very, You don't know who wrote are, Genesis then? No, there are different theories. The, the traditional answer is Moses, because they refer to the books of Moses. And the reason they refer to books of Moses, and often in the like Jesus in the New Testament, just says Moses, and he means these books or parts of these books, is because the vast majority of the first five books of the Bible uh, have Moses and the giving of the law through Moses uh, in in focus. There is no suggestion in the Bible itself, in in the text itself, that it was written by Moses, and certainly that um, I would say that's unlikely uh, for various reasons. We don't know. We don't know the author of Genesis uh, or the authors, if there were more than one, uh, or any of the other books of so-called books of Moses. And we don't know when it was written, and you will get wildly, wildly different answers depending on whom you ask. So um, I just did a, a quick check this morning, and one answer is that it was written in, <clears throat> really mostly written in the exile in the uh, 6th uh, century BC. Uh, another one said, uh, said, no, this is, this particular chapter has its origins in 14th century Egypt. So around the time of Moses being in Egypt, that sort of time. Somebody else put it in the 9th century. I mean, you, you pick a scholar <clears throat> and it's like, it's like throwing a dartboard with the eyes blindfolded. You just, you'll get a different answer every time, different scholars. Um, nobody knows mm-hmm. and it's not important. Also, where is there girls here? Are there all boys names? All boys' names. So they didn't have daughters? No, they didn't list the daughters. They didn't list all the sons either. This is not very many people. You count all these names together. You think that's the longest. Well, actually, put all the people together. We've got a couple of dozen people there. And everybody else is unmentioned. This is not a comprehensive list of everybody who was ever born. It's only what they remembered that wrote it. No, it's not that. What this is, this is a list of, if like, significant names. You know, so for example, if you, you know, um, uh, was it Edward III who had lots of children? I think it was. You know, I think Edward III is the one that a lot of people are, a lot of people in Britain today are descendants of Edward III. Yes, there was a television broadcast that looked uh, like. But, uh, you know, how many can you name? Oh. Anybody? Edward the Fourth. <laughs> uh, well, Edward Edward the Third uh, was uh, preceded uh, by Edward the Second, by succeeded by Richard the Second. Mm. What about the other children? And the historian's answer is no. We don't really care. We're not interested. They lived already. They weren't kings, queens, whatever. They weren't that. You know, they weren't that important. And that's always the case. You know, the, the, this is not a this is not a population record. This is a this is something else. Now the question is, what is it? Why is this chapter here? What's it doing? And to that, the answer that's the important answer. There are a couple of different things going on here. 
Number one, and I hope if you remember nothing else about this Bible study theories by the time we're done, which we very nearly have, is that we are tracing the promise of the seed. Mm. Okay, and that's why you know we are we are we are it's 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 sort of a bit like I don't know some of you might have had this you know when they make you give you some radioactive juice to drink and then they put you under you know and then they follow follows passage through your body to go and see what's going on in your or inject something barium or something into your veins just to see how how your body's functioning and you follow this sort of uh, follow this thing uh, through and in the same way you know there's this so uh, God made a promise Genesis three fifteen that the woman's seed will crush the serpent's head. That's the promise. And now we, what we've been engaged in ever since then in Genesis, and we will continue to do so. And hence all the various genealogies that are yet to come in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is that we are traced in the passage of that promise from one generation to another, the direct descendants of Adam and Eve. And where that line goes to, and the answer is it goes to Jesus. But we need to know that he does. We need to know that Jesus, if you like, is the son of promise. And so that's the first thing that's happening here. And that's the most important thing. That, however, is not, that, that only starts in verse 21. We also have, as David pointed out, God's command to Noah and his sons to fill the earth to repopulate the earth after the flood. And mm-hmm. so here we have a record of the <clears throat> uh, the increase of uh, Noah's descendants through his, ver- uh, his three sons and their various descendants in very broad terms. And you notice that it gets more and more detailed as we get towards uh, the end and the, and the um, children oh, of Shem oh. and descendants of Shem are given out in much more detail. And just to illustrate that, I... Uh, sought and found a family tree of Noah. Now this particular uh this particular family tree goes beyond uh chapter ten. So you kind of get to see where it fits in. So if you look at your screens you should be able to see that now. So there at the top left we have uh Noah mm-hmm. and his three sons. And you can see uh-huh. that Japheth who's mentioned first uh, is, uh, it's, it's misspelled here, by the way. It wasn't me, honest. I just found it on the internet. Uh, you see the descendants of Japheth and they are, you know, it's, it's a pretty short, uh, list. Doesn't go very far at all. Just a couple of generations. Uh, next comes Ham in the, in the, uh, text. And there we go for a little bit further down and it's far, it's more detailed, a little bit more detailed. And then following the line of Shem, you see that it follows it far further down. And the reason it does is that by the time we get here to Sereb, and then the next one down is Nahor, who is the father of Terah. And Terah, of course, is the father of Abraham, who becomes Abraham. Mm-hmm. And then there you see, you see the rest, if you like, uh, rest of the uh, family line then from there onwards. So chapter 12 onwards, we, we kind of pick up from where chapter 10 leaves off with the descendants of Noah and we begin to follow the line of Shem 
all the way down to the Jacob and then Jacob's 12 sons who become the patriarchs and the heads of the tribes of Israel. And thereafter, that is uh, the history, the biblical history is what happens to the tribes of Israel. And of those tribes, a couple become prominent. Uh, one of them is Judah. Uh, another one is Ephraim. And Judah then becomes the, if you like, the, the line uh, through which, uh, because David is there, is uh, of the family of Judah, then through the line of David, we can go all the way, we get all the way down to Joseph, Mary, and then Jesus. And so we are really kind of, we are setting out, if you like, it's, there's your story. It starts with Noah at this point, or re, re, restart at Noah, and it eventually ends in the Bible, in Jacob and his children, Israel, and for us in the New Testament further, it takes us to Jesus. Jesus has no descendants. Jesus does not marry. He has no children uh, through earthly marriage because in the seed of Abraham, all the nations of the world, all the uh, families of the earth will be blessed. And Jesus is that seed. And so the, the blessing doesn't continue through marriage and procreation, but now it, it comes to its fulfillment. The promise is fulfilled in Jesus. And thereafter, all the peoples and nations and languages of the earth are brought to him to share in his blessings by being made members of his body. And so you see how that line, you know, we, this is like continues from the previous one we saw a few, a couple of months ago, the, the family descendants of Adam all the way down to Noah. Now from Noah, we get all the way to Israel. And then later on in the, uh, in the books of, um, Kings and Chronicles, and then in the New Testament, we get the rest of the family lines all the way to Jesus. And there he stops, because thereafter we're no longer interested in human descendants because Jesus has fulfilled, uh, or the prom- God has fulfilled his promise in Jesus. So that's the big scheme. Now, um, I hope that I haven't lost uh, your interest entirely yet. Uh, at this point, but I think this is why it matters, even though it might not be very interesting to us. It might not be interesting to us, but it's important for us. Now, sometimes we just have to kind of suspend our, our, our understandable desire to be, if you like, engaged, uh, naturally and, and, and deal with things that are important, even though they don't make sense. Or they, oh, sorry, that they don't necessarily appeal to us. That's what I meant. One final point, then we start looking at some of these names is that the the kinds of names that are here vary. Some of them are clearly names of persons. Some of them are not names of persons. So, for example, if you look um, uh, down uh, to uh, verse 13 onwards, or 13 and 14, uh, you see that all the names end in im. Anamim, Lehabim, Naftuhim, Pathrasim, Kashlihim, and Kaptarim. I can't remember how, you know, how when you last took your Hebrew exam, but hopefully you will remember that all Hebrew words that end in im are masculine plurals. I, and im is a plural. Hence cherubim and seraphim. They are many cherubs and many seraphs. And, and so on. Mm. So these are all plurals. 
So you could say uh, that Egypt fathered the the Luds, the Anams, the Lehabs, the Naphtums, the Pathrums, Pathros, Pathroses, the Kaloshes, and the Kaphtors, if you wanted to kind of translate it like that. In other words, they're not individual persons. They are actually groups of people. Likewise, if you look in verse 16 and 17 and 18, you've got the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, mm-hmm. the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, and the Arvidites, the Zemorites, the Hamathites, mm-hmm. and the, and, and then the Canaanites. Mm-hmm. So these again are clans. They're not individuals. And so this is not just a list of descendants in, and in fathers and sons, but this is really explaining, if you like, the, the relationship between various peoples, nations, and places to Noah. How all are descendants of Noah, but, and how they are related to Noah. But there, this is again, this is not, if you're trying to, you know, do your kind of family tree and you get to this point, I'm afraid you're probably going to draw a blank because we simply don't have a simple father and son uh, kind of uh, lineage here. But much, the, you know, this is very broad. This is deliberately a broad brush because the point isn't to say, you know, this wasn't given, uh, so that future uh, compilers of family trees uh, who've got nothing better to do on a Saturday night, um, could have a useful resource like some sort of parish register, right? You know, or like a civic, re- um, civic records office, but rather this was given. So to give us a sweep of humanity and the world, uh, following Noah so that we can identify the relationship between various places and Noah and to see that everything comes through the promise of God, comes through Noah. What comes through Noah comes through the promise of God. And it's absolutely essential for the notion that, remember what Abraham, when God is, God says to Abraham, as I just quoted, that all the families of the earth and the, you know, all the peoples will be blessed through Abraham. So, well, we think, well, of course, but it wasn't an of course at all. You know, the, the, if, if you sometimes hear that, uh, that the world has become a terrible place because there's so much division and people are, you know, you've got racists and xenophobes and you've got all sorts of other things going on. Uh, the first response is always is, so it's not that the world has become like that. It always has been like that. And is actually a, my, my personal theory is that, for example, in, in modern Britain, for example, there's less racism and sexism than there has ever been, which means that when it does occur, we notice it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a bit like mm-hmm. if, if you went to London in 1720 and you saw a sub-Saharan African man with curly hair and black skin, you, everybody would stare because he was the only one. If you now do that, you, you'll, you'll get a crick in your neck because there are a lot of people in London now of, um, sort of African heritage and you don't notice it anymore. Mm-hmm. It's the reverse has happened in our society where there used to be, in you know, a racism used to be a commonplace. And some of you might remember seeing in person seeing there no Irish, no dog, no blacks, no, no dogs, no Irish, no blacks kind of. Mm-hmm. It was okay to put that, you know, you, you saw that on, on boarding houses in the sixties. Mm-hmm. And now if you did that, You'd find yourself on national news and in prison after, thereafter. And so everybody would notice. So the human race has always been divided ever since Cain and Abel. And what the Bible does here is something extraordinary. It takes all these peoples and nations and languages and groups of people 
many of whom are irrelevant to the people of Israel because they're so far away. Others are dangerous and hostile, or they, they despise them. They are, you know, enemies, or they're strangers. It's mostly a list of enemies and strangers, this list here. And say so they all come from Noah. And what did God do to Noah and his sons when they came out of the ark? He blessed them. He blessed them. And so what comes with Abraham, when he says all the families of the earth will be blessed through your seed, is not to say, oh, God's come up with something brand new here now. Here's kind of, I'm God's doing a new thing. Rather than saying, and this is now how the blessing continues. So it kind of focuses in on that. So, okay, so God, God already blessed Noah. And now we've got all these nations, people, languages, almost all of whom are ignorant of the God of Israel, don't know the Lord, and are either strangers or enemies to the people of God. What now? And and God says, ah, I haven't forgotten my blessing. This is where you're going to find it. And therefore, also, we get throughout the Old Testament, we get all kinds of strangers and foreigners. You know, we've got the Hittite. Can you think of a Hittite? Hittite the Hittite Empire was a, because a great empire, the, one of the great empires of the second millennium BC. Uh, it was kind of go- going out by the uh, year 1000. And it's kind of folk, it's central is centered geographically on what we today call Turkey. Can you name a Hittite? Uriah. Uriah the Hittite. Who's Uriah? Who is Uriah? Uh, The husband of Bathsheba. Husband of Bathsheba. Tell me about Uriah. What do we know about him other than that he was married to Bathsheba before his, his, his terrible end? What do we know about him as a man, apart from his name and his wife's name? He, he was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. He was a faithful man. His job? He was right-hand man. He was um, like one of David's right-hand men in battle. Yeah, he was, a, he was an officer in David's army. <clears throat> but there's a Hittite. He's not a He's not an Israelite, and he has become he he's he's a trusted man in the Israelite army, fighting Israel's enemies. And when when it comes to righteousness, he shows David himself up. You know, he he comes to a sticky end because of his righteousness. Um, we've got the Moabites. Can we name an? Can someone name a Moabite in the Bible? Ruth. Ruth. Mm-hmm. Who is, of course, uh, a, a uh, King David's great grandmother? I think uh, I, 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 I forgot to check how many generations. But King David is a descendant of Ruth, is a Moabite, another nation. Moses himself married a Midianite woman and depended on the wisdom at a couple of times of his father-in-law, who is not an Israelite but was a Midianite. And so we see that these other nations, you know, they are being brought in dribs and drabs into the blessings of God, which have been promised to Noah and through Noah to all peoples, but which are focused, you know, focused then on Abraham's seed. And we see this here and there, you get uh, outsiders coming in. Uh, you, we've got uh, Naaman, the Syrian. Uh, you've got the, um, the widow of Zarephath where uh, Elijah goes to stay and so on, until we get to the promises given through the prophets that the kings of the the earth will come and worship the uh, God of Israel in Jerusalem, 
which is then fulfilled uh, in Jesus. And now you look at the church, uh, Revelation 7 gives us the 12,000 of each of the tribes of Israel and an innumerable multitude of uh, people's nations and languages. And so this is this is what this is why this this matters. In a sense, you could say the details aren't so important as the big picture. As it happens, we have got details that we might as well look at them. But you know, you kind of we are looking at a big it's a big canvas here, and in some senses, um, this uh, this picture here, the the family tree, that's the important bit. This is what we have to take away from. You know that line that you can trace. From Noah to Shem to Arpachshad to Shela, Eber, Peleg, Rehu, Serug, Nehor, Terah, Abram, Isaac, Jacob, mm. and then the twelve tribes. That's that's the story. Okay, so I hope I've I've managed to uh, sell this to you sufficiently so that you'll have the patience now to go through the rest of the chapter um, and hope, hopefully uh, learn something interesting along the way. Even though uh, the chances are that if I quiz you. Uh, in a month's time, um, I will struggle to uh, remember what to ask. You will struggle to answer because the details, are, there's a lot to hold in your head at once. Is there any way of getting one of those sheets? It would be interesting to be able to read it, you know, on a piece of paper. I can email it to you if you want. Or... Well, I can't print it off. So... Yeah, I can I can print it off. Oh, yes, please. I'll, I'll, I'll try to remember to print it off and, and bring it. Mm. Uh, so... Shall we have a look at these names then? I'm not, we're not going to stop at every single name because it's not necessary uh, and there isn't time, but we're just going to look at some of them. But just, has anyone got any questions or comments on what I've said so far? It's not, I'm not sure, but where did all these women that gave them, had the babies come from? How did they marry the wives if they all came from Noah? Where are all the women coming from? Noah. No had a wife, and he had yeah. three sons who had wives. Well, must have had daughters and things. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just the, as I said, this is not a list of everybody who ever lived. Oh. Daughters, it's not that they were, there weren't any daughters, just they, they're not named. Oh, right. Yeah. This, this list here, uh, a fraction of 1% of, of the, all the people that lived in this time. Because hmm. we're not, this is not, as I said, this is not a population record. Any any other comments or questions of about all this sort of stuff that I've been saying so far? Mm. Stand you into silence, have I? As long as you're not snoring, I'm, I'm I, I will carry on. Okay, good. So these are the generation of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. Uh, and again, just to be absolutely clear, it's, it doesn't mean that no daughters were born to them. But again, the lineage, the family line is in the Old Testament is always straight through sons. Mm. Uh, and daughters then join the families of their husbands. The sons of Japheth were Gova, Magog, Madai, Jacob, <laughs> Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. Uh, now, who are these people? And the answer is, it's, it's really actually quite interesting when you look at what scholars have kind of tried to trace these things and said, maybe it's this, or perhaps it's that. In other words, the, the, these are Hebrew names for these uh, people. And 
The Hebrew are just like the English or the Finnish or anybody else when they come to foreign names. They tend to write them in a way that makes sense in their language. So, for example, could somebody tell me what the capital of Bavaria is? <laughs> What's the capital of Bavaria? Bayern. No, the capital. That's the name of, that's Bavarian German. What's the capital? Oh, sorry. Munich. 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 So Munich is in Bavaria, but if you go to Germany and start speaking German, said, uh, you know, voice Munich, uh, voice Bavaria, they'll say, what? They're what? Because it's München in Bayern. Uh, in other words, the English have taken the German city and the German state and they've given it an English name. If you go to Finland and you ask, what's the capital of uh, the United Kingdom? They will answer Londor. Whereas in French, it's Londres, okay, and so on. We all kind of take foreign names and we turn them into forms that we can understand or pronounce. And so we find also with these names. So it's sometimes a little bit tricky to trace who these people are because they are written in a way in a Hebrew sort of form. Just like, you know, as I said before, you know, Jesus wasn't called Jesus. He was called Yeshua. But the Hebrews, sorry, the Greeks didn't have the sound Shah. So Yeshua, and they like to end their, their, their names with a consonant, particularly a specific preference with an S if it's a boy. And so Yeshua becomes Jesus, uh, and that gives us Jesus and so on. And so that's why it's difficult sometimes to identify closely. Uh, so here is the suggestion. The Goma, Goma refers to the Sumerians, who are a people in what we now call southern Russia, <clears throat> who were a rival uh, became a rival as a people, they became a rival nation to the Mesopotamians, uh, at, a, at, uh, sort of in the ancient world. Uh, Magog, uh, you, you come, we come across, have you heard of Gog and Magog, right? Yeah. Yeah. In Ezekiel and then in the book of Revelation. Uh, in Hebrew, if you've got some, you know, if you've got a, a, a place, uh, and you want to refer to the people of the place, you say ma at the front of it. So you, if you have England, then you go to Ma England would be the English. You know, the, the English language, you put an ish on the end, that, that becomes the people. In, in Hebrew, you put a Ma at the beginning. So Magog is, is the people of Gog. Uh, we're not sure where that is, uh, but one possibility is that it's in Anatolia. Where's Anatolia, geographers? So Eastern Turkey, modern modern money. Uh, Mada is probably the Medes, which was a, a empire uh, sort of in what we now call northern Iraq, Iran. Uh, uh, like uh, the uh, Javan was possibly a reference to the Greeks. Uh, Tubal again uh, is probably in uh, in Turkey. As is Meshek and Tiras, we don't know. But these are peoples, uh, if you look at them, uh, these are so sort of people quite far away from Israel. Then you've got sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, which is not the same as Ashkenazi Jews before you ask. Ashkenazi Jews just means, Ashkenazi means uh, German. Either the kind of European, Northern European Jews in, in, in uh, Germany, Poland, uh, Russia, as opposed to the Sephardic Jews who were in Spain and uh, North Africa. This has nothing to do with it. 
uh, but it's probably or possibly a reference to the Scythians. And the Scythians, uh, again, they were a people that originated in what we call southern Russia, just north of the uh, Sumerians. Uh, so they would be, and, and they began to invade at this time, and we find them later on in the king in uh, media, uh, and also in, uh, regions around Greece. <clears throat> and the Scythians, remember, in, in like, we've got a list of, uh, of the sort, in New Testament of, uh, distinctions that, you know, the, uh, the Scythians are mentioned as, as a people who are also one with, in Christ with everybody else. Um, <coughs> Ashkenaz, Rifatega. So we've got, uh, and they got sons of, uh, Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. Uh, Kittim is probably a reference to Cyprus. Uh, Elisha is possibly Crete, or could be a region of Cyprus. Tarshish, nobody knows. There are different theories about what Tarshish is. Some people say maybe it's in Spain. Some people say maybe Sardinia, maybe in Turkey. Uh, one theory is in Carthage in North Africa. It's a sort of place of, uh, trading, uh, trading place where a lot of uh, wealth comes to, uh, Solomon, for example, comes from Tarshish, she's from Tarshish, and that's where Jonah wants to escape. And then he says, from these coastlands, people spread in their lands. Now, not all of them were actually that coastal. You know, if you're in southern Russia, you're quite far from the coast. Uh, but the point is that these are, these are the sons of Japheth, and they are all very distant to the Israelites. They're not, they're never neighbors. They are all, at the at best, they're neighbors of neighbors. Now, the Medians are further east than Babylon, and, and the Scythians and the, um, uh, Sumerians, for example, are far further north than the Syrians are. Uh, yes, Mike. Why did they all split up then as a family? Uh, we're not told, but, uh, if you have a, it's a bit like the conquest, so-called conquest of the West in the United States. More and more people, lots of people uh, in a small space, but there's land. So people spread out to take over land. You know, if you've got one family on a plot of land and then they have all have children and then they all have children, you get to the point where you either have to start, you know, well, you have to basically start somehow getting some of those people off that bit of land and find them in a different bit of land. And you, you oh. multiply the regenerations and you need a lot of land. And so the you know, population of the world as a whole was very small at the time. And so there's loads of space. So people tended to travel and they just went where they went. You got, I mean, even today you still got some nomadic peoples who simply go where, you know, they just follow their herds and flocks to where, yeah. wherever it rains next, where you've got pasture. And, you know, people did that and still do that sometimes. Um, on mass, you know, they, they just take up and go somewhere else. For whatever reason, maybe there's been a famine, maybe there's, you know, maybe they just are curious. You know, why did Columbus go to, uh, go to, uh, the, the West Indies? Well, he was hoping to find a quick route to India and miscalculated the size of the earth, you know. Um, but once you got there, you know, loads of people went over, just opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Why well, it was called the Indies, Indies. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so the, the first lot, you know, is, is quickly told. But uh, notice verse 5. From these coasts, people spread in their land, each with his own language. Now, this is the first reference to language in the Bible. What's the famous first reference to language in the Bible? If I say language, Bible, what comes to mind? Story about languages. Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel, which is in mm-hmm. the next chapter. Uh, and so we begin to, this is like 
this is almost like, you know, when we talk about in, in the story of creation, how you got the story of creation, got the kind of global big story, Genesis chapter one. And then you get the kind of the, the focused smaller story in Genesis chapter two of creation of Adam and Eve. In the same way here, we've got the kind of global picture, the spread and diversification of humanity in chapter 10. And in chapter 11, we get the focusing on, on the separation of languages of the Tower of Babel. So these two things are, you know, they're, they're like parallels telling of the same story in a different, from a different, uh, on a kind of different, um, it's like zoomed in or zoomed out. So this one, this is a zoomed out one. Then we get the sense of ham. And now we start getting much closer to home. Home being the Holy Land, Canaan, promised land. Cush, uh, Egypt, Put, and Canaan are the sons of Ham. Now, Cush as a place. Anyone? No? Syria? No. Ethiopia. Yeah, it's what is often referred as Ethiopia in older translations. It's basically the bit south of the southern southern neighbors of Egypt. And so uh in modern language, uh, so modern geographical terms, that would be uh more akin to uh Sudan than to Ethiopia. Uh you know, so modern uh, uh political boundaries. But they are the kind of uh south of Egypt, the sort of African uh, parts of Africa, usually referred to as dark skinned. Uh, people got Egypt. We all know where Egypt is. Mm-hmm. We got a put, which is possibly Libya. So to the, uh, west of Egypt and then Canaan, which is a reference really to the kind of the, the region, uh, around, uh, so between Lebanon and the Red Sea mm-hmm. and between the so-called Arabian desert, which is not on the Arabian peninsula, but the desert to in modern terms, again, if you can think of a in Middle Eastern map, east of uh, Jordan. So the whole desert region between Jordan and Iraq. Then we've got sons of Cush. Seba, Havila, Sabta, Rama, Sabteka. Havila is mentioned twice, by the way. We'll come back to Havila later on. And the sons of Rama are Sheba and Dedan. And these are usually identified with Arabia these names, Arabia. And by the way, he says, well, oh, I thought I thought you said Kush was in Africa, on the, in the south of Egypt. Well, as it happens, if you're in the ancient world and you want to go from A to B, uh, you want to build a really quick road, what do you look for? Any idea? If you want to travel quickly between A and B, what do you hope? A river. Yeah, water. And so if you're in Egypt or south of Egypt, you want to go on the Nile, and if you can't get on the Nile, the next word, best way to travel is in the sea. And the the gap between the Arabian Peninsula and the Horn of Africa is very short. And there's, for example, where's coffee from? Who knows? Where's, where, where's, the, where's the coffee plant originally? Kenya. Uh, Kenya and Ethiopia, especially Ethiopia. Bits of Kenya and Ethiopia. Where does coffee the drink originate? And the answer is not Kenya or Ethiopia, it's Yemen, which is just across the Red Sea from Ethiopia. And so there is a very close trading connection between uh, Arabia and East Africa, Horn of Africa, 
um, until very recently. And so it makes perfect sense to connect Kush uh, also with Arabia. Kush father Nimrod, the mighty warrior. Lovely piece of music. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, he was the first on earth to be a mighty man, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now, who was Nimrod? This was Nimrod. We know nothing else about him. But we do know that there are lots of stories in ancient Near Eastern texts, not just the Bible, but many others as well, which have reference to some, uh, to a, sort of the mighty hunter figure. This is a kind of almost like a stereotypical mighty man of, of, uh, history. Um, and, uh, this mighty hunter before the Lord is quite possibly that before the Lord, but is actually just saying it's like a kind of, it doesn't mean that he, it's not a reference to his, um, either to his relationship with God or God's view of him, but rather it's kind of before the Lord is like, uh, um, it's, it's a sort of way of saying really, really, really big, big thing. It's like we say, you know, if we say, you know, the wind, we have an almighty wind, uh, it's that's yeah. a reference. Yes, Avril. Is he a hunter of men or a hunter game. For, game for the Lord? Yeah, he's a hunter of game. So really when he says he was a mighty hunter, he was the uh, the the word isn't hunter, the word in Hebrew but it means game. Um and it's really given that there we there we have a kind of reference there to some sort of saying that clearly was 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 known to the original readers like a mighty uh, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. So he was, a, he was he was like a stereotypical uh, great character of of history. And then it says the beginning of his kingdom, and the beginning here, or the the uh, NIV says the first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Erek, Akkad, Kalne, and Shina. Uh, the reason is the literally says beginning, and that means both. That can mean it's like when we say first. First can mean, you know, uh, that uh, ordering in time or in quality. So you can say somebody's first among equals. doesn't mean that he, he arrived there before others. He means that if <coughs> like primacy. Or you can say that some, somebody came first before others. And so when it says the beginning of his kingdom could be a reference either to the fact that that's how it started or that that's the prominent bits. And possibly both. But we see there Babel, Eric, Akkad, and Kalne. Uh, you will recognize uh, Babel, and particularly, uh, but also Akkadian was one of the earliest written languages. Um, and, and, and we got some very early records, uh, writing records that are in Akkadian, you know, language. Um, but you see again, these are, we are beginning to look at, we're looking at neighbors. And Babel, of course, is a very important place, as we will discuss, you know, uh, already in the next chapter. Mm-hmm. And then we hear about uh, Assyria, Nineveh, and then these places around uh, Nineveh. So we see here again, you know, how, how, what's, what's the role of Assyria and Nineveh in the story of the Old Testament? They, they were oppressors of the um, Israelites. Yeah, they are, they are, they're the enemy, the oppressive enemy who try and, try and conquer them and in fact succeed uh, to a degree to conquer Israel. Uh, so that's, that's on one side. That's to the, uh, sort of north, east of Israel. Uh, we've already covered south, east, Arabia. Now we get to the west, uh, or southwest, Egypt. 
and we've got all these different uh uh, different sort of uh, names, all of which are plurals, as I said, so refer to tribe, uh, to um, clans, uh, which are quite possibly uh, all of them, almost all of them, sorry, are, are sort of in North Africa or North East Africa on the coast, including including Libya. And uh, the Kaftarim are probably Cretans, mm. we think, maybe. So that sort of region. And then we get to Canaan. Remember Canaan, poor old Canaan, the youngest son who got the curse. Mm. Father Sidon, Tyre and Sidon, the two Phoenician, Phoenician cities on the coast that were so, so, are so significant in the whole of that world and therefore in the Bible. Got the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Gergeshites. These are all names that we find as peoples that are in, that inhabit Canaan when Israel come there from Egypt. We've got Egypt, we've got Assyria, we've got the, the place of slavery, we've got the, uh, the oppressive Assyria on one side, now we've got the people who actually uh, inhabit the promised land, Hivites, the Archites, Sinites, we don't know about all of them. Uh, Jebusites uh, were the people who lived around Jerusalem, and David conquered uh, Jerusalem from the Jebusites. Uh, the Amorites... Um, the Gigatrites we don't know anything about. Hivites are probably in Syria. And the others, other of these places, Sinites, Harkites, Arvadites, Zemurites, Hamathites, all, these are places along the Phoenician coast. So this is what we know modern day terms call the coast of Syria, just north of Israel. And these were the coastal peoples. And then the clans after that, they were dispersed. And now see verse 19. This is where, where we begin to see that this is given so that we can understand what happens later. Remember, Noah's sons were blessed. Canaan was cursed. And the curse was that he would be a servant of servants uh, to his brothers. The territory of the Canaanites, that is the descendants of Canaan, extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza. And in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim as far as Lasha. This is very broad. It's like a, you know, it's a bit like you know when you watch the uh, weather forecast and the person they kind of they just sweep their hand across the map. You know, is it got you got a wind coming? This is kind of very, very, very imprecise, broad. But these are, in fact, roughly the boundaries of the promised land, which are then spelled out far in far more detail in the Book of Numbers. So this is the territory that the sons of Canaan, the Canaanites, inhabited, and here already we have like tucked away, hidden away, the promised land. This is the land that will later be given to the sons of Jacob, who is the son of Isaac, who's, another, uh, who's the son of Abraham, whose lineage can be traced all the way back to Shem. And therefore, you can see that the, like, the future relationship between Israel and Canaan is already being here, hinted at. So it's there as a kind of a historical a historical pivot on which the rest of the story again rests. Yes, Rosie. Sodom and Gomorrah, when did that happen? When Jesus got, when God got rid of? That was after, when Abraham was alive. Was so Abraham that's time. a way, way ahead from now. Yeah, well, much further down the line, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So we've got, these are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands and their nation. So they see this, this division again. Clans, languages, lands, nations. So it's not even pretending to be, it's not even trying to 
pass itself off as a list of people as much as a list of people's uh, nations. And then we get to Shem. So is that, I hope this is sufficiently a whirlwind that we don't get, get, kind of get bogged down in, in unnecessary de- detail. If, if you want to at any point to press pause, just put your hand up and do feel free to interrupt me. I'm just trying to sort of, uh, get the big sweep. So we get to Shem. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. So he's the eldest. Children were born and, um, or, uh, sons literally again. Elam, Ashur, Arpakshad, Lud, and Aram. Now, these are again, uh, become, uh, nations, some of which we can identify and others we cannot. Uh, so for example, uh, Arpakshad, we don't really know much at all about what that refers to in, from other sources. It's just mentioned here, not explained in the rest of the Bible. We have really no reliable information from outside the Bible either as to what this might be referring to. Elam, the Elamites were rival. They were east of Mesopotamia and there was, they became a great rival empire of the Mesopotamian, various Mesopotamian, uh, empires. Um, <clears throat> Aram is used in various ways, uh, in the Old Testament. So, uh, it's not so easy always, uh, to identify them. They, but eventually further down the line, it gives us the language of Ar- the Aramaic, of Aramaic. And we of course have a reference, for example, in, in the commemoration of the Exodus, remember when, when, when you remember the, you know, Passover, uh, you say a wandering Aramean was my father. In other words, Abraham is as a wandering Aramean. So this gives us at least those words, but who exactly where and what we find it's very difficult to know. But we then get from this mysterious Arpakshad, we get to Sheila, who then, uh, or Sheila, who then fathers Eba. And then we begin to follow down that line. Two sons, Peleg and Jokten. And Jokten fathered Almodad Shelef, and then we get the long, long list of names now, uh, all the way to Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. Uh, Ophir. What does that refer to? Any, any, does that ring any bells? Yeah, that was bad in the what. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that's the start. Anybody else? It was a, a town, wasn't it? Uh, not quite, no. Huh? Gold of Ophir. Uh, so it's, it's one of the places where, in the world where, which is referred to as a place of, of, uh, as a prodigious and, and particularly valuable gold. As is Havilah. Havilah is already mentioned in, uh, the account of the Garden of Eden as, uh, as, as, as a source of uh, gold, and these again are places, uh, they become places in, uh, almost certainly we think in Arabia. Mm. So they're not, um, uh, not very far away, but we've been following the line of, uh, these are the lines, these, these are the sons of, of descendants of Jokten, and, and we get this, um, and the territory in which they live is in Mesha in the direction of Sifa to the hill country, 
country of the uh, East. <clears throat> and again, these, these are place names are difficult to place with exactness, except that they are, again, we are sort of east of and southeast of uh, what later becomes the land of Israel. And these are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies or lines of descent in their nations. And from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. So these are kind of said, this is all the nations and peoples of the land are in some somehow connected uh, to Noah's sons. And so if you just go, I'll just put it back one more time. Now that we've kind of whizzed through all those names, uh, you will see that we have followed the line first. We saw Japheth, and then we went to Ham and, and the various sons of Ham. <clears throat> and then lastly, we tracked track down uh, the children of Shem through Apakshad, all the way to Eva. Uh, who had Peleg and Joktan. Peleg means division, by the way, hence and the Joktan and Joktan and, and the children of Joktan. But then the hereafter the story continues, uh, with the descendants of Peleg, uh, uh, which will, uh, in fairly short order, then lead us, uh, to the account of Abraham, which starts in chapter 12, or really at the end of, um, you know, kind of, we're led to it from chapter 11. Uh, to, uh, from chapter, uh, into chapter 12. So there you go. That's, that's all the names and, and, uh, places that are covered in chapter, uh, chapter nine. And I so far don't think have made a single, uh, point, uh, of, you know, application of law or gospel to your lives from this. This is information. And sometimes we just, that's, 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 uh, important, useful too. So that gives us, uh, a bit of time now. It doesn't give us enough time really to go to the Tower of Babel. So we will stop, uh, in the text at this point, but it gives us a bit of time for any discussion there is, or we can have our next cup of tea or coffee a bit earlier than planned. Um, <laughs> I just Say, say that again. Are we a relation of Noah's? Uh, it says here that all the nations spread abroad from this. So if they, they all came from him. Descended, yes. So we must go back that far then, mustn't we, to Noah? In some way or another. <laughs> I mean, if you were able to trace our history, obviously, I mean, there are various convergences. I mean, if, if you look at... You know, the way that, as, as you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've all come across families, family lines that just die out. You know, somebody just mm. or whatever, and, and a particular branch of family dies out. Yeah. And so they feel like there's genealogies have dead ends. Mm. But no genealogy has a dead beginning. Everything comes from somewhere. So in a sense, we should be, you know, if you are, if you were, if we had the records, we should be able to trace our ancestry all the way beyond way back when to the beginning <laughs> and uh obviously we don't have those records so like you know my my father's family i think is traced to the 1600s or something like that mm. now before the first person that was praised to also had parents <laughs> we just you know we just kind of ran out of information 
Yeah. And, and so, yeah, eventually everything go, does lead there, which, I mean, since you mentioned that, I mean, it's not the focus of this text, but it's worth bearing in mind. This is why, uh, so, uh, any forms of racism are so utterly ludicrous. Mm. Because it treats, it treats, uh, human different, different looking humans as humans from different, uh, so-called ethnicities from different backgrounds and, uh, and, and if like clans or groups of people as if they're different species, mm. you know, or even like different breeds. And it's just not the case. You know, we are all essentially, I mean, humans are humans. There's just one human race, but you know, humanity has, has diverged in linguistically and also in terms of various features, uh, for all sorts of reasons over the centuries. And, and this happens all the time. I mean, for, just to give a really, really sort of, um, uh, sort of uh, be, uh, simple examples, for example, at the moment, just for because of circumstances, um, I can't remember the exact number, but I think the average uh, South Korean is about two inches taller than the average North Korean. And those nations haven't been separated for a century yet. But I imagine that even if North Korean nutrition improves, it will take a long time for them to catch up, you know, many generations to catch up in height. You know, there, there are also circumstances that affect the way people, and it makes sense, you know, it makes sense that there are a lot of redheads in Scotland because redheads are better absorbing vitamin D, and let's face it, there isn't a lot of sunshine in parts of Scotland. So you need <laughs> all the help you can get. And uh, if you're living on the equator and you're light-skinned, uh, there's a good chance that you won't live long enough to have children. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, before before the invention of sun cream, whereas mm. uh, you know having a dark having dark skin obviously is very very helpful. And mm. so, um, so all these sorts of different sort of things have explained why humans have ended up being quite different from each other, mm. uh, on, in very superficial ways. Mm. Uh, but this notion that somehow you know people of a certain skin color or of certain ethnicity are somehow a different race, it's just it's just nonsense mm-hmm. not just it's wrong it's just not it's just silly mm-hmm. um which is not to say that there aren't you know there aren't differences of course there are differences and those differences are, it's absolutely fine i mean you can't deny them unless you, unless you decide to be willfully ignore the evidence but we are you know there's just humans humans are humans mm-hmm. yep rosemary uh when you said japeth that it all ran out and didn't carry on very far. Only a couple of generations. Is there any reason for that? No, it's just that the record doesn't, the Bible doesn't tell us anymore. anymore. Oh, so you don't know whether it carried on or not? We know because a lot of those, uh, the, the descendants of Japheth as they're given here, uh, already are, you know, it says Goma, Magog, Medai. These are, these become nations. Oh, right. And, and so it's just that they, they, this, that's as far as the story is told. Oh, right. they, didn't, they didn't go beyond that. I mean, if, if you want to trace, for example, the descendants of David, King David. Yeah. Uh, you will run to a dead end very quickly in terms of information. We just aren't told what the other sons and daughters of David, what their children were. Mm. But if you go through Absalom, uh, sorry, through Solomon, mm. uh, you get a lot further. Because that's the that's where the you know the information follows that particular line. Mm. 
And this is why so many of us don't know who our ancestors were in the board. So 40th century with us, they were unimportant peasants. Nobody cared. Yeah. Mm. You know, they, they, they probably, they didn't write their own names and, and they lived and they died and nobody noticed. Mm. Nobody important noticed. David. Yeah, it's, it's not theological, but I've just really noticed in this chapter, in fact, all of the Bible, there's never a surname given. Everyone's got a, a singular name. Mm-hmm. In our in our culture, our generations, surname is very important. I think the only thing I, time I can see a development sometime of names is is like a nickname, like John the Baptist, or maybe someone is associated with an area, maybe you know like Jesus of Nazareth. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, what is very important to us, which is a surname, there is no rec- no mention of that. Throughout the Bible, as far no, as no, and in fact, surnames in England and in Europe generally really only begin to appear in the 15th century and, and become common in the 16th century. So it's, it's such a reason thing, and there are still places like Iceland, for example, doesn't have surnames. Icelandic, they don't use surnames; they use patronymics. They use what? Sorry, patronymics. So you know, like you say, you know, somebody's called Johnson, which means son of John. Yeah, they still use that. So every man. In Iceland is their first name and their surname is their father's name with son on the end of it. And every okay. woman, their surname is their father's name with dotter on the end of it, daughter of. Yeah. So yeah. every, every Icelandic person is called, you know, Joe, the son of blog or, 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 or Josephine, daughter of blog. And that's it. Amharic in Ethiopia. They, they, at least recently, they still didn't use surnames. They use patronyms as well. It's quite common. Um, so yeah. Well, it's like right. having a name, a name like Carpenter. Mm. I mean, because he was a carpenter. Oh, That's yeah. right, yeah. Yes. And, uh, and this, again, has nothing to do with the Bible, but it's just uh, <laughs> very interesting that uh, it's apparently it's the case even today that if, you're, if you have a, an occupational surname, mm. like a smith or carpenter or yeah. something, I think, yeah. you are very yeah. likely not to be of Norman descent but of Anglo-Saxon descent. And even though this 1066 is now a thousand years ago, mm. um, or very nearly, uh, you are still more likely to be lower class today if your name is Smith or Carpenter than if your name is something Glanville. Yeah. Uh, yes. which, uh, which is a, a Norman name. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. They even do. But that's, that's, that's just a, uh, yeah. I, I just read it. I, I, it, it fascinated me. Nothing to do with I, it at all. I was always told that if it was baker or or anything like that, it was because the families were bakers before. Correct. Yeah, because how do you know? I mean, we have this in the New Testament. You got, for example, you know, John was an incredibly common name. Yeah. We got John. You said so we got you know disciples of Jesus. We got John, sons of Zebedee, mm-hmm. John and James, sons of Zebedee, because they had common both of them common names. Mm-hmm. And if we got later and got John Mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, got Simon of Cyrene. You got all these mm. different ways of identifying. A lot of Israel people in Israel mm. in the first century, they had a, a Hebrew name and a Greek name or Roman name even. Uh, so they're known as, you know, by by both names, so you could distinguish them from from one another. I mean, John mm. was a common name, uh, James was a common name, Jesus was a really common name, mm. one popular names, mm. Joshua. Uh, you know, so yeah. It makes you wonder when you've got a name like Ramsbottom or Waddle, where they came from. (laughs) Ramsbottom. Yeah, no Ramsbottoms (laughs) in the Bible, so. No. It's maybe a good good opportunity for us to return to the text. Good Yorkshire name, that is. 
Yes. Mm. If there's such a thing. Um, <laughs> so any, any other questions or comments about Genesis 10 or any other things that have come up from that? Yeah. It's interesting to see how it's all mm. evolved. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And this is, I mean, this is what we might call primeval biblical history. This is like before, before history is almost like prehistory. Before yeah. we get to any detailed records of anything. With Abraham, mm. we begin to get more detail. I mean, even then, we got Abraham's 185 years get covered pretty swiftly, and we get a lot of decades that don't get a mention. Um, you know, if Abraham, if you, if you found his diary, I think we, it would be a lot, lot longer a story. Uh, but, you know, we begin, here we're still dealing with this kind of big, it's like the camera so it pulls out. After the story, no, the camera so zooms and pulls out. And, and looks at, well, what happened next? He, 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 this is the sort of thing mm. that television animators whatever, have a field day with. You know, you kind of see the picture zooming out from Noah uh, standing next to the ark with his sons. And then you start seeing lines on the map kind of spreading out. Kind of thing. But the idea is that we see here that God, the creator of heaven and earth, creator of all things, visible and invisible, mm. how God, you know, this is, this is all in God's world. Mm. And how all these different kind of lines of, you know, quite obscure things and seems like well so well who cares kind of bits of information how they gradually nevertheless they divert you know they kind of they diverge and they can disappear but they they stay the names and the words are there and then we they kind of as as the history goes on over the centuries they then get gathered back in 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 different uh places um so just take one example uh which is um the uh, we talk about kush which is uh, uh, south of Egypt uh, and uh, sometimes referred to as uh, Ethiopia. And we then discover, you know, they, they, they is occasionally referred to, but there's not much, you know, it's just there as a kind of name on a map somewhere. Mm. For centuries, centuries, centuries. And all of a sudden, we read through the New Testament, we get to Acts chapter 8, and we come across an Ethiopian eunuch who believes the gospel, is baptized and takes it back home. Now, he was from Cush. And all, <laughs> after all these, all these dozens of centuries, all of a sudden, that blessing of Noah finally lands back in Cush. Mm-hmm. So, kind of, there, there are these very, 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 God's kind of, God's, if like God plays a very long game, we're very impatient. God is incredibly patient and he plays a very long game. And these, these promises are pl- they're planted and seeds uh, are planted. And then they find their fruition somewhere way over the horizon in ways and in places that we couldn't have imagined. We, I've mentioned South Russia twice now, Scythians and, and the, um, uh, the, 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 uh, uh Sumerians. In around the year 1000, the Russians are baptized and become Christians. So Vladimir, the king, the prince of, of Kiev, decides to convert to Christianity together with his people. And all of a sudden, the gospels in Russia. Mm. Took a long time. Yeah. God had all that time. Mm. Yeah, Rosemary. Um, China and um, Japan, how did they get to there and how... We don't, possible, I, I, we don't know. again, it's not in here. It's, we're not given that account. There are all sorts of places. We, we're not told about South America or Australia either. And, oh, no. and, and so that's not a big, 
that's not a question to which you have a biblical answer. Hmm. You have to ask an archaeologist or or some kind of some such person to tell tell you that story. Avril. I shouldn't have done, but I looked at the first verse of next week's. <laughs> how, the old, how the whole earth has one language and the same words, mm. which is completely different to what we've just been reading. It is. I, that's, I, I'm you shouldn't leave, do that. I'm going to leave you on a. I'm going to leave you on that cliffhanger. <laughs> that's where we're going to begin. But of course, if you if you just said, "Oh, that looks boring," all the list of names, so you skip from verse nine and you skip to verse so chapter nine to chapter eight, uh, sorry, chapter nine to chapter eleven because the chapter ten looks so boring. Of course, you miss out on that intriguing question. So uh, I hope you're grateful that we uh, we slogged our way through this. Uh, we will begin with that question next time. Well done, Avril. You you got the last word in. That was well done. Very good time. <laughs> Uh, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love and your wisdom and your patience with which you direct the nations of the world and how the history of uh, this planet is ultimately a demonstration of your power and of your wisdom and of your love to work out your purposes and to fulfill your promises. Give us patience also to wait on your word and to um, Look forward to the fulfillment of your promises at the time that yeah, you deem best. So we will never despair of your mercy, growing patient, uh, but with hope and in a firm faith. Continue to live our lives day, day after day in the wisdom of your word and in the comfort of your promises. Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Amen. Amen.